At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to the Habitat Podcast, the podcast for wildlife habitat management, hunting strategy, and land stewardship. And now, your host, Jared Van Eves. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Habitat Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Van Heath, and we are here to become better habitat managers. Thanks so much for everybody tuning in tonight. We have a great game plan episode for you here tonight. We have Josh Hardy out of Ohio with a great big seven-point buck he shot just last night. We're going to talk about the property in Ohio that him and his brother Jason managed. You've heard Jason Hardy on here before on episode 76, so if you want some more info on what these guys are up to, check them out there. We talk about most recent information, using the wind and thermals to your advantage. Hunting between two different types of food areas, food plot, and oaks. Hunting the sign and using some info from our hunt before. And also how TSI can be beneficial in both browse and cover when hunting from the ground. So guys, thanks so much. I want to get right to this episode. We want to thank Packer Max Cult of Packers, HuntWise, Killer Food Plots, Michigan Whitetail Pursuit, Realtree United Country Land Pro, Lake Stakes Realty and Auction, Sound Barrier Hunting, Morse Nursery. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. If you haven't heard of us before, check us out at HabitatPodcast.com. Everything you need to know is up there. You have links to our social media, our YouTube, our Facebook, Instagram, all that good stuff. You have all of our gear, hats, and brand-new Habitat Manager t-shirts up there. Uh, the link to the website will be in the show notes for this podcast. So all you got to do is scroll down and you'll see it. We also have our Habitat Journal and our Land Plan Management Plans up there. 
Feel free to check us out at HabitatPodcast.com and leave us a great review on any of our spots if you see fit. Thank you very much, guys. Let's get right into it with Josh Hardy from Ohio and his big seven-point buck. All right, welcome back, everybody. Another episode of the Habitat Podcast. We have a game plan episode with Josh Hardy from Ohio. What's going on, Josh? Hey, Jared. How are you doing? Not too bad, man. Just uh, covered up in work here, waiting for the weekend with this cold front. Um, I'd ask you how you're doing, but I think I already know the answer. I'm grinning from ear to ear, buddy. <laughs> so you know how these things go. It's uh, You shot a nice, mature buck uh, last night, so we're getting you on here as quick as possible. want to get this out to the listeners as quick as possible and find out why you were successful. Think we can uh, handle that? I think so. I think so, and I'm uh, I'm honored to be here. I really appreciate it, and uh, and and love uh, listening to you and Brian. So thanks a lot for asking me to join. Oh, no problem, man. Thank you for your support. I really do appreciate it. We appreciate it. So, getting this going, let's hear about who you are, Josh. Where you're from, and a little bit about your property. Then we'll get right into the hunt. Sounds good. Sounds good. So uh, a little bit about me. Uh, I've been uh, hunting since uh, probably around 13 years old. Uh, grew up in Ohio, but uh, spent a good part of my uh, childhood and in, in, you know teenage years down in North Carolina. So uh, hunting both Ohio and North Carolina as I was growing up. I uh, am actually a bigger fisherman than a hunter. Uh, I love both, but uh, I think you know I always say that the, the reason for that is when I fish. I get to throw them back, so I get that exhilaration over and over of the catch. Uh, and when I get a deer, that's when the work starts. But, uh, you know, I can fish all year, and, and hunting only comes up uh, part of the year. So I, I make sure I get to do both of them. The, the other thing that I would say about me is uh, I'm a serial hobbyist. Uh, and what I mean by serial hobbyist is, is I love uh, to learn new stuff. And I go all in when I when I do it. And a lot of my hobbies, uh, yeah, a lot of my hobbies just parlay one from the other. So if I if I like hunting, you know, I also like getting out and doing the habitat management. Uh, I like getting out and doing photography of, of nature. Everything kind of just plays together uh, in harmony. And um, you know, I have more hobbies in, in than I have time or money. But I can give you, I can guarantee you that I, I give it my all to try to keep up with as many as I can. And um, as you may know, uh, you know, we've we purchased a property six years ago in southeast Ohio, and I can tell you, man, this this property has uh, provided endless hobbies. So I don't think I'll ever get bored. No, that's for sure, especially uh, with the habitat side of things. I know you guys are, you and your brother Jason. Jason's been on here already before. Uh, I know you guys are are ate up with it like we are, and, and that's something you can do all year long. So I don't know how you have time for other hobbies. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I managed to find some in there, but uh, yes, sir. Yeah, we, are, we are busy. So tell me about your property a little bit. You're in southeastern Ohio. How big is it? What's the terrain like? And um, let's, yeah, let's just hear about that a little bit, and then we'll get into uh, your hunt last night. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so the property is two two big parcels. Uh, seventy acres is the front. We call it the right now. It's the front seventy and the back eighty. Uh, the front seventy is uh, predominantly hardwoods. Uh, I've got a four acre pond that I manage, uh, and um, 
like I said, probably about 65 of those acres are, are wooded. Okay. Uh, very hilly. Uh, there's not a flat spot on the property unless it was, you know, made with a bulldozer at some point in time. Uh, and even those are, are slanted downhill for water runoff. So <laughs> it's a uh, it's a lot of, uh, uh, you know, right on the edge of the Appalachian uh, Mountains. So we're not quite mountainous, but rolling hills. And then uh, I'm sure you've heard about, uh, you know, with, with the discussions with Jason and, and with our, our channel, the Habitat Oasis is the back 80. And that is a very diverse landscape uh, from a um, reclaimed strip mine. And so on that 80, we have about 30 acres of woods. Uh, the rest is uh, open fields uh, covered in uh, autumn olive and a variety of invasives that we're trying to, uh, to remove. Uh, but yeah, we've, uh, we've jumped in since we owned this property and, and just we're working with a lot of the government agencies. Um, but thanks to you guys and Habitat, uh, excuse me, Habitat Podcast, we shifted away from being food plotters to habitat managers. And uh, everywhere we look, we're looking for ways to, uh, to improve uh, for the overall benefit of wildlife, whether that's, you know, taking autumn olive out of the woods um, or taking it out of the middle of the fields um, or planting pollinators, um, you know, select cut timber, stuff like that. Uh, it's in all of it is, fun for us so it just plays into that hobby aspect yeah and you guys are you guys are doing a great job at it i mean you're busting your butts out there i've seen your videos over at hardy brothers outdoors on youtube there and i mean whether it's the cerezia lesbadiza or the autumn olive or the plantings you've been doing for shrubs and trees i mean you guys are killing it you guys are are doing a lot and it's it's fun to watch it's um it's encouraging you know if you get Anybody gets in a little habitat slump every now and then, and it's, it's fun to pick those videos up and, and take a look and, and just see what you guys are up to. Because, like I said, you guys are getting after it. So I can't imagine what uh, I think Jason and I were talking. I can't imagine what it's going to look like in you know five or ten years from now down there on that habitat oasis project. So good for you guys for for really working hard. Yeah, yeah, I think that's the that's the fun part, right? Because right now we're so close to it, uh, we don't quite. Uh, we don't quite see the, the, the end game or what it's going to be. We, we have it uh, in our mind's eye. Uh, we had the DNR here checking up on some of our projects uh, recently, or the USDA and the DNR uh, foresters. And, you know, we're like, ah, we're not really happy with this. Uh, these warm season grasses, we just didn't, didn't come in like we thought. And they're like, oh, no, check this out. And, you know, and they were, they were way more excited than we were because uh, they knew what they were looking for. So right. Uh, you're right. Uh, time, time will tell. Um, and it can only get better. Uh, it, it was pretty bad when we when we got a hold of it. So, yeah, and uh, I know I want to get right into your hunt here, but if anybody wanted to go back and hear um, Jason's episode, he's Josh's brother, that was seventy six, number seventy six. Uh, a lot of good stuff in there. So, we'll uh, we'll get right into your hunt now. Let's let's hear about this. Um, last night was October twelfth. Let's hear about where you were hunting and, and why you think you were successful and then kind of roll into the actual hunt and tell the story itself. Yeah, yeah, cool. So um, b before we jump into the, to the specifics last night, I'll, I'll just uh, start off with a couple things here, which is, you know, my, my hunting style may be a little different uh, than, than some of the others that uh, have been on or that are listening. 
and I think it's important to just point out that, that uh, we all do it for our own reasons and we all have our own measure of success. And um, for me, uh, the way I approach hunting is it's, a, it's an opportunity for, for me to relax. It's an opportunity for me to be outdoors uh, year-round in preparation for it. Uh, it's about fellowshipping with friends and family. And I know that, you know, that's a, a number of these things are the same for everyone. Um, but one of the things that kind of is different for me is I'm a technology guy. I've been in tech since 1995, you know, internet technology software. And I actually escape uh, work by being outdoors. And so it's kind of funny because I don't actually take technology into the woods with me as much as, as you know, some of the others do or as you might expect. So I'm not a big game camera guy. Uh, when I go out and hunt, I, I generally I don't run a lot of cameras, if any. Um, Jason, on the other hand, he's he's got them all the time. That's a big part of what he does is checking the checking the cameras to see what bucks are out there. Uh, I like to operate on, uh, and I think Brian uses this term, uh, MRI. So uh, most recent information. And so you know I like to get out. Uh, I always hunt with a climber. I like to get out and uh, and observe. And if I'm in the wrong spot and, and I can see, you know, where I need to be, I move. And I use a lot of sign, uh, that sort of thing. And I, you know, wind. Wind is one of the, the probably the only place where I go for my technology is, you know, what's the wind doing today? Um, so um, I know that's not uh, – I'm, I'm sure there's things I'm missing. And in, in, uh, as I continue to grow and mature as a, uh, as a hunter, I, you know, I'll pick up other tricks along the way. The other thing is uh, time is, is uh, important in family. So I've got an eight-year-old son that's dying to get out and get his first deer. Um, so one of my measures for success this year was uh, the sooner I can get, you know, uh, a deer, the sooner I can put my time into, into hunting with him. So I just kind of set that as the stage. And yeah, now I'd like nice. to get a little uh, a detail of how I, how I started last night. Yeah, I think that's respectable across the board. I don't think there's anything um, I disagree with too much on that. I, I love running cameras, but I hate all the scent you leave behind when you check them. So I'm kind of – I can see how it could be a double-edged sword. Um, and then just getting back to woodsmanship in general, like you're saying, you know, look at the sign, maybe you go off of a recent hunt or, or whatever and, and hunt that way. It's just as important in my opinion. So I love it, man. Let's keep it rolling. Totally agree, totally agree. And, and the funny thing about that is, you know, every deer that I see, Jason's probably got a picture of it. Yeah, you don't need to run cameras. Jason's already got a cover, right? That's right, that's right. And I, I keep finding out that he's putting cameras, he's encroaching in my space and, and putting cameras in my area. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so last night uh, I was working a little later than I wanted to. I, I've, I've set some time uh, aside this week, mornings and evenings, to get out and hunt. And um, last night, I think it was about 5.30 before I was, I was going to go uh, head out. And uh, first thing I did was, was check, the, uh, check the wind. I already knew I don't have a lot of time. You know, like I said, I'm, I'm on hills. So it takes uh, a, a fair bit of time to get to uh, the places that I normally look to hunt. I don't like to take the side-by-side the -side out and run the deer off the hill. So, uh, you know, I knew I had limited time last night. Uh, I, I jumped onto my, uh, my free app. I checked the direction of the wind, had a, a dead wind out of the south, uh, which um, I was going to be walking straight into the wind the entire way 
if I left and went out the back of the house. And so I needed somewhere as, as uh, close as I could go, um, work in the wind. And so I started thinking about what have I seen? I've, I've been out two times already this year. First time out, the sign was incredible around uh, the white oaks, and uh, I went up an oak tree and had doe all around me. And at that time, it was my first hunt. I was looking, you know, I wanted to to observe and not shoot the first night out and was looking for a, a buck. Uh, so I knew that the acorns were dropping. I mean, they're dropping like crazy right now in uh, southeast Ohio, and um, uh, I knew that they were on them. They were feeding, but I also knew – from talking with Jason and, and he's hunting closer to some clover fields that they're they're out in the clover clover fields and he's got multiple bucks a night coming out into the clover fields. So I know that uh, you know they're not only in the fields and they're not only in the woods. Uh, so I started thinking about where do I have food uh, options uh, that I can hunt. And um, probably about uh, 600 yards back into to the property, I have uh, a nice oak stand uh, and a, a clover field that, that flanks that. And I just recently did a whole bunch of work to clear autumn olive around the, the, uh, the edges. Nice. Which, um, yeah, which actually allowed me to see out into that, that field a little bit better. Um, but again, time was uh, an essence last night. I didn't have time for the stand, so I decided I'm going to go hunt from the ground. And I did that on my second hunt, had some doe within 20 yards, uh, which was pretty exhilarating to be hunting from the ground, uh, you know, and just trying to, to stay, un, you know, unseen and uh, keep them from winding you. So I said, I'm going to do that. And, uh, you know, walking in, I've got uh, quite a bit of uh, area to cover I think I'll go as briskly as I can. You know, I got the wind in my favor for half the distance, and I'll stalk the rest of it. And as I stalked in, um, I was leveraging all of the undergrowth that would not have been there six years ago before we did our select cut. So um, as part of our habitat management, we did the select cut, and uh, it's it's amazing uh, you know, these, these oak flats were just wide open. You could see them. And we thought that was awesome when we first bought it. My wife and I did. Right. <laughs> and uh, we realized. I mean, it does look nice, but. It looks nice. She likes to be able to go out and walk and not have a single briar touch her. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, uh, the, the deer don't feel quite so safe. So uh, when we did the select cut, it really, uh, it really filled it in. Um, and I didn't really, I didn't realize until, you know, doing some of these ground hunts that, wow, I, you know, one, my, my visibility is a little bit reduced. I can only see so far, so I need to position myself well. Um, but I, I was able to sneak uh, almost all the way back, um, thanks to the, uh, to the ground cover. And um, the goal was, you know, position myself uh, between this, this uh, clover field in the uh, in the oak stand, and I was able to to sneak into there. Um, so yeah. Okay. Was it was the there um, any cloud cover? Was it sunny? How strong was the wind? Uh, what you was know, the, the temperature? Wind, uh, would you say uh, the the temperature was quite high. I would I think the temp temps were in the uh, high 60s, low 70s. So it was okay. a warm one. Uh, lots lots of mosquitoes last night. Uh, it was starting to get, uh, yesterday was pretty overcast down here, uh, but still, you know, I'd say partly, partly sunny. 
and the winds were, um, you know, three to four miles an hour out of the south. Okay. So bring, still bringing kind of some some warm air in at that time before the because there there was a cold cold shift last night around one, um, and it's quite a bit cooler today. But yeah, pretty uh, pretty still, um, uh, and again favorable. I'm 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 hunting a, a field that uh, every every bit of my access in was uh, was into the wind. Okay. All right. So what happened next? All right, so uh, so I as I was sneaking in, um, I could see uh, a doe out in the field, and I just uh, recently picked up uh, a really nice set of Vortex binoculars, and uh, <laughs> what an amazing difference from the cheap things that I've been using for the last 20 years. Uh, I was able to uh, to sneak in, see the doe out in the field, uh, leverage all of that cover to to close my distance. Uh, towards the field, and um, she kind of fed on out of the, out of the field. I don't think I spooked her, and I uh, got in, got positioned up against a good sized tree, and um, probably sat for you know 10, 15 minutes. And I decided, and I, I, this time of year, I, I question whether or not to use a grunt call at all. And I know Jason's been using some. So again, back to the MRI, I'm 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 listening to him, I'm researching, and hearing other other people's experiences that he's grunted a few times and run, run the bucks off. Uh, and so one of the things that I learned a few years back and that I use uh, quite regularly, and I don't, I don't, uh, I don't know where I learned it. If I, it was something that I uh, saw on a show or something, but I use just a single locator grunt, like just a really faint short grunt, just to kind of, I'm here type of uh, grunt. And what I find in many cases when I haven't seen anything and I do that, you know, things start coming out of the out of the woods. And uh, I gave that little locator grunt. I'm looking around over my back shoulder. So actually downwind from me, off a hill comes a doe and a fawn. And uh, they start coming down towards me. And I'm thinking, oh, crap, they're going to come right, you know, they're going to cut right between me and the uh, – uh, the field that they're coming out of to get down to this clover field. And they got behind me, and I could see her kind of, you know, checking the, checking the wind. Didn't seem to be too alerted. And I made a decision at that point that I'm just going to kneel down, get as low as I can, leverage this tree that I'm up against as well as the brush around me, and just try to pretend like she's not there. Because I'm just, at this point, I'm thinking, she's going to screw up my hunt. I've only been out here 20 minutes. <laughs> it's, the, it's the downside of hitting that locator grunt is that you usually do get does that come in. Um, and so I just kind of hunkered down, and uh, just I decided that I was more likely to be seen by her by looking than uh, just ignoring. And if she came in close, I'd deal with it at that point. And as I was sitting there, I would say, you know, five, six, seven minutes later, you know, no sign of them. I didn't, I didn't look back. I noticed down in the field a big body. And so out in the clover field from me, probably 80, 90 yards through the trees, I could see just a big body. Pulled up the binoculars, start trying to get, you know, and I, I could start to make out antlers from that distance. Um, and thought, okay, we got we got a nice buck out here right now. Uh, so start watching that, 
he's feeding around and, and you know we all know that deer are, are edge animals so even though there's this big probably half acre clover field uh, he stayed within 15 to 20 yards of the edge and back in the corner you know we got autumn olive lining the fence line uh, I cleared all the autumn olive around all the other edges so now I can see them uh, some white oaks along the edges as well and he fed around next thing I know another doe comes out starts uh, you know feeding around him and uh, he's now dead upwind from me like I could draw a perfect straight line to where he is and every now and again he'd put his nose up in there and I thought man there's no way with a south wind this, this deer is going to you know win me and I started getting a little worried and uh, he uh, he did that a few times the doe came down was hanging out with him he turns around and I'm still just trying to get you know, my, my head wrapped around, how big is this deer? How big is this deer? And at this point, I know that, you know, he's, he's out beyond his ears, um, but I can't get a count on the points. There's just too much going on with the leaves and the, and the brush. So uh, I've, I've had my range finder out. I've ranged out, you know, to the edge of the field, 50 yards. I don't take 50-yard shots um, ever. <laughs> That's out of range for me. Yeah, uh, I don't think I'd ever shot until last night. I don't think I'd ever shot anything over 20, maybe maybe 25 yards max. I'd say probably 20. Uh, so I'm I'm watching him, and all of a sudden he just decides he's going to come into the woods. And so he's he's got his belly full of clover, and I guess he's ready for uh, for the next course of acorns. And he drops down into a ravine. Pops right back up the other side, and as he was dropping, he got behind a uh, uh, looked like a beech tree or something that was still, you know, very thick with uh, leaves. And I drew, and uh, you know, the the good and the bad of of drawing too soon. Uh, one, you got to hold it. Two, uh, as I had it back, I started to calm my nerves and say, okay, you got the you got the button in your lip. Okay, you got the you got your peep sight. Start walking through the mechanics that sometimes go out the window when you get when you get nervous or when you get that that buck fever. Yes, sir. <laughs> so uh, I kind of steadied my nerves and I'm watching him. I got the pins on him and and I still haven't you know he's got his head down and he's downhill uh, 35 yards. So I hadn't you know I didn't have time to put a a range finder on him when he came in. I had a tree at 15 that I knew, and uh, I'm, I'm pretty decent at uh, at gauging the the ranges. And so I thought, man, he's 35, and I'm I'm at full draw. I'm going on to probably 90 seconds to to somewhere around two minutes of holding holding the bow. And I shoot a Matthews Creed, which has great let off. I mean, I, it, it it's yeah. pretty surprising at uh, how long you can hold them nowadays. So. Uh, I decide, and in my head, I'm like, you know what? I don't know that he's bigger than the 10-point that you shot, you know, a few years back, but he's bigger than anything else you've ever shot uh, besides that one. And so if he's not bigger, he's he's your second biggest. And uh, at that moment, too, I thought, that if I get this guy, then, then Dylan and I are hunting this weekend. And, um, Heck, yeah. Get him out with the crossbow, right? So, uh I let I let that arrow fly, and he he jumped. I heard this crack. Didn't sound like you know bones cracking like I've heard before. You know at a at a closer shot, it sounded like 
I hit a, a log or something, and I'm thinking, man, how did I miss? I mean, I, I know it's a long shot for me, 35 yards. I've never taken that shot before. I've practiced it, practiced it plenty. It's downhill. Did I get him? Did I get him? And the little jump he did wasn't, you know, he didn't kick. He didn't do anything like, you know, when you hit one with a gun or, you know, I think it's different spots where you hit them, they, they react differently. And he got it. He just walked away. He just turned and walked back across that ravine, which was it wasn't a real deep ravine, back up into the field. That doe came out to see him. He turned sideways, middle of the field, looked back into the woods, and I thought, man, is he going to keep feeding him? I gonna? There's no way he's going to come back here for a second shot. And I don't shoot uh, lighted knocks, which is is going to change because I keep telling <laughs> myself I need to have them. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know where my arrow is at this point. I don't see it sticking out of him. I, you know, I think I, I think I hit a, a a tree or a log or something. So he gets midfield, and then he just turns and goes up the hill back to that autumn olive tree line. Stands wow. at the edge of the tree line. She follows him up there, and I'm like, he's just he just seems unsure, right? You know, something's not right. Just seems unsure, and he disappears into the autumn olive. She stands there, and I got the binoculars out, and again, you know, it's an obscured view. I don't have a clear view, and she starts kind of pacing and then gets a little squirrely and takes off down the side of the, the fence line. And I'm like, man, that's there's something to that. You know, this, that's not normal behavior. So uh, I don't know what to think at that point, Jared. I'm, I'm, do I... Do I keep hunting? Do I wait? You know what what's going on? Did I was that a clean miss? And I don't think I can sneak down to where I you know that 35 yards without ruining the rest of my my evening. So I yeah, sat. I mean it, that all it sounds like either like my thoughts when you're telling the story it could either be a miss or it could be a, a shot that was back. But her spooking like that, you know, makes me think he tipped over or something. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's what uh, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Something happened. She didn't cross the fence with him. Is he laying up there in that autumn olive? You know, did he did he cross the fence? I I, I don't know. You know, and I, and I waited, and I waited till about ten minutes, or probably ten minutes before. Um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe probably till sundown, and you know, so still had the legal shooting light. And I thought, you need to just go look because you're not going to shoot something else. You're pretty sure you got that thing. You know, just just don't even put yourself in the position of kicking yourself to find out you missed and then you you didn't shoot something else that came by. <laughs> right. You know, ethically, I know I need to go find out whether I got this deer. <laughs> <laughs> so I go down. I got probably the crappiest flashlight, um, you know, one, one AA battery flashlight that you could you could ever own. Uh, in my pocket, and I get down there and I start looking for my arrow. No sign of the arrow, no sign of blood, but I see, you know, kind of disturbed earth, you know, like where it jumped, yeah. the leaves pushed out. Walk up into the field to where I thought that he left to go back into the to the clover field. Nothing. I mean, I'm not seeing anything. And so, uh, next step is get up there to the autumn olive to where they were, and I get up there. And I'm starting. Okay, I got I got some good blood up here. Uh, bright red blood too. Um, not a lot, you know. Just but it's it's bright red. And uh, we had a bad hit. A buddy of mine had a bad hit a couple years ago um, down here. We tracked the deer for three hours and it bled like crazy, and we never found it. 
um, you know, until the blood kind of clotted or whatever. And so I'm starting to fear. I'm like, this is really bright red. There's no air in it. There's no bubbles. It's not a dark red. It's a, it's just, you know, bright red. But I'm going to back out, walk back to the house, you know, let let Jason and some others know that I got, you know, I got a deer. I'm going to get, you know, I'm safe. I'm heading back out to to look for a deer. We, we hunt a lot of times by ourselves, so we like to do the check-ins. Uh, yeah. A lot of dead cell uh, area here as well. There's no, That's a good idea for sure. Yeah, yeah, you could be out there needing help for a long time and not have it. So, so anyway, I get back, get the side by side and some real flashlights, uh, head back out, and instead of going right across the autumn olive, I found the found the blood and I tried to track back to the arrow. I wanted to find out what the arrow looked like. Um, did I get a meat shot? What you know? What did I get? And um, I got to the middle of the field where he stopped, and that's where the blood started. I couldn't find any more back to where I shot him, so which was, was really kind of peculiar to me that uh, he didn't start bleeding until he was halfway up that hill. Um, so I go back, cross the, go through the autumn olive, and uh, this is actually where I, or the video that I shot starts, uh, is uh, crossing the autumn olive and going and doing the retrieval. And um, get in there. The blood blood trail heads downhill, which I think is usually a good sign as well. <laughs> uh, even though he'd already gone, you know, 100, probably 100 yards from where I shot him, uh, he, he went up the hill, turned down the hill, 15 yards down the hill, there he was laying underneath the autumn olive. So, oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. So here's the thing, you know. So I, I don't know that I've said it yet, but uh, it was a seven-point. Um. But here's the thing. We've been taking all this time to, to get rid of Autumn Olive. <laughs> and that's where, uh, that's where he went to go lay back, lay back, lay back down <laughs> with, uh, in that, uh, that grove of Autumn Olives. Um, Don't tell Jason. You know what? That, that area that he, uh, that he was in, it was on uh, one of his management plans that he wanted to clear. And I told him, I said, until we are successful at returning cover, we need to leave some of this stuff here. Because, you know, with all of the food sources that we've put in, man, do they stage up in that stuff. Right, um, right. But, but I think there's a healthy balance. In that, and I think of course. We've, heard it, we've heard it on your show before. Uh, you can do better, right? Right. So uh, it's, it, it's interesting. So here's the uh, – Well, first of all, congratulations, Josh. That's awesome. It sounds like you made a good shot. And, uh, I mean, he didn't go all, all too far on you. And a nice, nice, big, mature seven-point. I mean, I saw the pictures. He wasn't small. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty happy with him for sure. Um, in the shot, uh, you know, I walked up on that deer, and there was a uh, – you can see where he kind of kicked a little bit and cleared up some of the, the, the leaves, but there was almost no blood on the deer or around the deer. So I knew okay. I didn't get a long shot. And um, based on the color of the blood, I thought – I think I might have might have got the heart, you know, at 35 yards. I might have got the heart, and uh, sure enough, I uh, I nicked. I wouldn't say nicked. I sliced the side of of the heart, and I think based on the angle, it must have taken that long for the blood to uh, to come back out through the through the entry wound. Okay. Uh, was it you know his the the heart was hit and it started pumping inside the cavity. Yep. Um, and so it was kind of an internal bleeding thing. When I when I got him, there was almost no blood other than the the blood trail. He's either all pumped out <laughs> by the time I got to him, 
but but unique. You know, I've I've seen some pretty uh, pretty gruesome you know scenes when you walk up on a deer from uh, from the uh, uh, lung shots or whatever, and it was just a, a unique you know nice clean heart shot. So nice feel very done. fortunate, very fortunate. Nicely done. Nicely done. Good good shot. Great um, backing out, waiting a little while and making sure, you know, just rethinking everything without getting too worried or gung-ho or anything. And then, uh, you know, collecting your thoughts and, and getting back in there and, and retrieving that buck. And, and I mean, 35-yard heart shot, that's, that's pretty nice. And um, I guess I'd just like to know before, you know, we do wrap this up, what were the reasons that you think were, you know, the reasons you killed this buck. So, like, if somebody else is listening, they can maybe grab a, a thing or two from the story and and maybe put it to their own success or game plan for the weekend. What do you think were maybe your top three factors on, on killing this buck? Yeah, yeah. So, so no doubt uh, wind. Um, I, that is the one thing that I'm – it's taken me a long time to learn that, but I I do my best to hunt the wind – uh, every time. So I think it's uh, no matter the scent control that you have, mm-hmm. uh, you, your scent is, is being left. And just one quick thing that I'll, that I'll throw out there on scent control. Uh, I had the, the DNR Forrester with me the other day, and, and he made a comment to me that that um, I hadn't really thought about before, which is it's not just the human scent that you bring in. I know you had a, a guest recently talked about the dissecting all those scents. Um, on how the, the um, great the deer are at picking out the different uh, scents. But his point was it's not just your scent, but it's when you stepped on that spice bush and you crushed it or you stepped on whatever, you released a smell that, you know, when the deer walk through the woods, they don't, they don't crush these plants, right? So they know something heavy has come across that. So it was just an interesting, you know, spin on scent control that I hadn't heard before. Yeah. Um, so I would say uh, the wind. I still use scent control. Uh, you know, I have uh, clothing that I that I keep uh, as scent free as possible, and I use a little bit of spray just to hit the the things that uh, that might have picked up some scent. Um, I would say the food sources. You know, knowing where the food food sources are right now, acorns are are amazing. And uh, if you got them. If you got them, yeah, that's a good point. If you got them as a food source and, and if they're white oaks. So uh, another thing that this DNR guy did with me was uh, he, he cut open a white oak uh, acorn, had me take a bite of it, and uh, it was pretty smooth, like, you know, just like eating a, a peanut or something. And then he handed me a, a red oak, which was, you know, and then he handed me a mint. And he's like, there you go. You <laughs> that make a difference, huh? Yep, the tannins in the red oak, because uh, the red oaks don't, uh, they sprout in the spring, whereas the white oaks uh, germinate in, in, the, uh, in the fall was the explanation he gave me. Night and day. So red oaks, black oaks, I guess if they're hungry enough, they're going to eat them. Otherwise, they're going to wait till uh, you know, much later in the season to eat those. Um, so white oaks, if you got them. Uh, the clover, um, you know, the, the, between the, those two feeding areas and the fact that they weren't just all one or the other, um, I would say if you can position yourself uh, near food or in the travel corridor for that food. Um, and then, uh, you know, just just not being seen. And I, I don't even know if 
I, I did mention it before, but just the hunting from the ground, never done anything like that before. Uh, pretty cool. So whether you're hunting out of a blind or tree or whatever, you know, tree stand, it's, you know, keeping your movements as, as minimal because he, he was looking right up at me multiple times. Uh, you know, without the wind, I had the advantage with my camo. So, Do you think he was getting your thermal drift down the hill at all? That's what I was thinking. Because, I mean, I know you had the wind in your favor, but if you're above him and it's the evening hunt and the wind is pretty variable, he could have been catching maybe something. Um, or maybe you just, your, you know, your the shades in your camera or the shades where you were sitting might have been just off or, or something. I mean, you obviously did a great job, but I'm wondering what he was what he was trying to sniff out when, when earlier in your story, you know? That's that's an excellent point because I I was shocked when he dropped down into the woods. I, right. I actually didn't think he was going to come into the woods, and he came straight at me, but then turned and started feeding. Um, and it you know maybe it could have maybe he picked up the scent of that doe that had walked by, you know, ten minutes earlier. Right. But, you know he 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 was on to something. The thermals are probably uh, very possible, but I don't know whatever whatever he smelled. He he was interested enough to. To, to can you know somewhat investigate without running the other way. So, well, it, either way, you did an awesome job. I think um, you just gotta feel good to be tagged out. So, thank you, uh, you know, for coming on and, and telling your story there. And and I want to make sure that if anybody wants to follow along with the story of this buck, you did take some video footage. You're gonna be posting it up on your channel. Um, let's hear what that channel is and how people can. And come see this buck and the video footage and, and all that goes along with your Habitat Oasis project. All right. Thanks, Jared. Uh, Hardy Brothers Outdoors, H-A-R-D-Y, Brothers Outdoors. Uh, we are on uh, Facebook. We are on YouTube. Uh, we are on Instagram. And uh, if any of you that are listening happen to be managing uh, rehabilitation of a strip mine or trying to, to do invasive work, uh, we actually have a Facebook group, uh, which is um, Habitat Management on Strip Mines. So we'd nice. like to have more people join that conversation um, because it's, it is a science project. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure you guys aren't the only ones in that situation. So Not at all. Not at all. We're starting to, to get a, a decent group going. And, uh, you know, there are so many great places uh, uh, on Facebook and in, in your podcast to get Habitat information uh, we're just trying to get that that one little uh, niche of understanding, um, and it just it's it's all trial and error. So you know, I think it, that's what part partly what makes it fun too. So well, that's great, man. We like working with you guys and um, keep the the habitat chat and banter going. And uh, you know, hope to get down there and meet you and see your see your place here before too long. But I just want to thank you for coming on the show. Thanks a lot, Josh. Jared, thank you so much for your time, and uh, you're always welcome. Thank you so much, listeners, for coming and listening once again to the Habitat Podcast. We really appreciate it. If you could, please do us a favor. Leave us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast. If you type out something nice, I will send you a free Habitat Podcast decal. If you haven't been to our website, habitatpodcast.com. We have our habitat property consultation services on there under the land plan tab. Check out our HP land plans there. We also have hats, t-shirts, and decals up at habitatpodcast.com. Of course, all of our podcast episodes. And then we have a new habitat podcast journal 
where we can learn about deer anatomy and some cool thoughts, um, you know, more of a blog post from us every now and then. We'd really love it if you went over to our Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, found the Habitat Podcast, and please subscribe. That really helps us. And thank you very much to our sponsors. We have Michigan Whitetail Pursuit, Packer Max Cultipackers, Huntwise, Killer Food Plots, The Habitat Hook, Realtree United Country Land Pro, Lake States Realty and Auction, Sound Barrier Hunting, and Morse Nursery. Thank you so much, guys, for tuning in once again. Get back with us soon. We're going to have another great episode for you as we become better habitat managers. Captain Justin Leake and Meredith McCord for the best fishing action along Panama City Beach. Tune in to Chasing the Sun every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Through the Blackwater bayous and in the dark Louisiana night, floats a duck camp, alive with the sounds of swamp pop and the smells of Cajun cooking. Mississippi Delta in Venice to the Cajun prairies of the Southwest. Me and the Duck Camp Dinners crew will be hunting and eating it all. This is Duck Camp Dinner. Join me, Chef Jean-Paul Bourgeois, and the whole crew every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.